and welcome to Dark Opinions, Dark Reporter. This segment is going to be on a topic that is very important to me. Um, and, um, it's relative. It relates to the vibration that we're feeling in the atmosphere. And I know I'm sounding different than what I normally do. You know, my words might be different than what I normally say because it's hitting me different. November is Native American Heritage Month. And my, and I am Cherokee. My grandmother is Cherokee. Her mother is Cherokee. And so I am going to honor them by, and I have been researching so much. And I'm like a historian. I'm always looking for information about our family. My sister Lisa, she's also very, you know, into the historical genealogy and facts in our family. And um, my, our, our little brother Jason as well. And um, so I've learned so much in my researches that I didn't know before. And so I'm bringing some of that to you in tidbits. And I might do this instead of just making this last, you know, for November or or even part of December, just once a week or something like that, just bring you history. Okay, and so um, I'm talking to you guys about the Cherokee and how they lived. And what happened? That's what I'm going to talk to you guys about in this segment and how I'm leading into it, into the succeeding segments after this, or episodes after this. Excuse me, my throat. Okay, so the Cherokee actually is a matrilineal kinship. Okay. Let me say that again. The Cherokee is a matrilineal kinship. And people wanting to, you know, uh, join like a Cherokee nation like the, um, there is three. Uh, One is in Oklahoma and two is on the eastern side of the Mississippi. And um, there is this thing. Each one has a different rule. And I, you know, I thought I wrote it down. The one that's in Oklahoma. But if I don't get it on this episode, I will on the next. Promise. And so, um... It was, what it is, is that um, the, there are, like, in order to register 
for uh, a to be recognized in the Cherokee Nation for this one group, this one band, I guess you can say, you just need to prove that you're one sixteenth Cherokee. For one of the ones east of the Mississippi, you gotta be a quarter Cherokee. And then the other one, I forget what it is, but it's definitely more than one sixteenth. Okay, so with the Cherokee though being a matrilineal society, that basically means that no matter what your father is, you trace your roots through your mother. And so, and there's still a matrilineal society, kinship even today. And so, if your mother is Cherokee, then so are you. So, let's say if your mother is only half Cherokee. Somewhere along the line, there was a full blood somewhere. But I guess that... I'm not sure how that works, but... Let's say, like, my great, my great-grandma was full-blood Cherokee, but let's say that she wasn't. Let's say she was half uh, Scottish. That would make my grandmother, like, Scottish Native American because that's what her mother is. But in reality... Her mother is actually full-blood Cherokee who married an Irish Scandinavian man. But as I researched, I found that the white men that married the Native American women in the Cherokee Nation were shocked because they found out that they were actually no relation to their children. They had no claim over them. Not even any lineage claim. It was like, I mean, but that doesn't mean there was no love between the man and the woman. But it just means that they were they were not recognized as the contributing factor in their children's lives. The most significant male in their in a child's life in the Cherokee Nation is the mom's brother. Not the mom's father. The mom's brother. Because, get it, you're the child, let's say me, okay? My dad which I don't really mind because I don't really have a relationship with them. Doesn't matter. Um, I only matter to my mom, my mom's heritage, which in her, even though she has a great relationship with her dad, her 
heritage, her lineage only matters through her mother. And my, which is my grandmother, who is a daddy's girl. She loves her dad and her mom, but her lineage is only through her mother. And so, whatever her mother is, is what she is. So her mother, my grandmother's mother, was full-blood Cherokee, so is my grandma. And if that makes my grandma full-blood Cherokee, so is my mom. And if that makes my mom full-blood Cherokee, so am I, regardless of what my father is. So, um, people who are trying to figure out how do they prove their, their heritage... If, let's say, a Native American man, maybe, married a, a, a white lady, then being a matrilineal society, I, that would mean that the children were white. And in some of the records that you'll find, like, um, I think it's on, what's it called, Smith or something? Or even the Dolls Road. Sometimes Native Americans are listed as white. Um, so, yeah. Um, but for the Cherokee, because not all Native American tribes are matrilineal. Let me put that out there. Not all are matrilineal. Um, so I'm, I'm only focusing on the, the uh, Cherokee here. But I am, I am going to mention that uh, even though these tribes never really, I guess you could say mingled, kind of, um... There were a whole group east of the Mississippi, um, and um, these, there are five of them, with Cherokee included, and these are the five federally recognized tribes. And with saying five federally recognized tribes, these are the five tribes that were involved in the Trail of Tears and the treaties and all that kind of stuff, okay? It doesn't mean like five tribes that the federal government sees as legit Native American. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, five federally recognized tribes is just the five tribes that are federally recognized as being duped in the atrocious ter- trail of tears. Um, and so, um, these five tribes are the Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Seminole, and Muscogee, formerly known as Creek, but they, uh, what they go by preferably Muscogee. So I'm calling them Muscogee. So, uh, um, women were the cornerstones 
other families. The men were always out like hunting and stuff like that and fighting wars, which sometimes women did fight alongside men. Um, but mainly they were at home. They were killing the gardens, run, helping to run government. They did hold seat in government. They were very vocal. They were strong. They held up the family. They held up the family. They did what Americans would call, like, saying it's a man's job to take care of a woman and his household. Well, that's what a woman did and it does in the Cherokee Nation. She does what Americans call, Americans and Europeans call the man's job as far as taking care of the family. Well, when it came to hunting, um, the men went out and hunted and stuff. And I wouldn't, if you know, because women fought alongside men in war sometimes, I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't women that was out hunting also. Uh, nobody wasn't going to tell them really that they couldn't because they, 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 they were, you know, uh, a principle. Uh, they were the the primary they were the the they 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 took care of the family um i remember my grandmother trying to really get me and my sister lisa to like harmony i think lisa liked it i'm not sure i can't stand harmony um, hominy comes in yellow and it comes in white. It's a corn, and I, uh, um, it just ha- it don't taste like corn. I love corn. Hominy tastes totally different, and it's not the same hominy that you find in grits. Okay, yeah, it says that it's made from hominy, but it's just how it's treated. Um, that gives it a different flavor. It's just. The harmony that my grandmother tried to feed us was just had a way different flavor. It didn't have that sweet corn flavor at all, um, and I didn't like it. But the Nate, but the Cherokees were, were, were traditionally did most of the farming, and um, they um, harvested corn and beans pumpkins and sunflowers is very important and the older women um in in my research i checked my um description for this podcast and you'll see uh who i credit for helping me out so much um uh, ncpedia.org says that the old women sat on platforms in the fields and chased away corn, uh, crows and raccoons that tried to raid the fields. And while, while the younger women tilled the ground and did the farming and stuff, and the men were away at war, and some of the women. And, um, in the winters, the men were out hunting bears and turkey, deer, and game. And, and, and sometimes they went hundreds of miles from home. So during all that time, these women are handling everything. They are handling everything. 
and and it was common for several generations to live under the same home and under the same roof and because of this it was sometimes hard to keep everything everybody in the same roof so several houses were built and uh, there was often a big roomy airy spacious summer house in a smaller more intimate winter house with thick walls i believe it said it was clay walls i think and um there was a hearth in there like a fireplace and because the walls and the roofs were so thick and the space was more intimate it helped keep the heat inside of the home and this is during the cold winters and um It's also interesting that Native Americans, you know, because of the nosy missionaries that came around try to convert people to their way of seeing who God is and whatever, um, some of them did turn Christian. And what helped that situation happen is the occupation of the Europeans settling in their area and forcing their way upon them. They pretty much influenced the Cherokee to their way of life to find peace because the Cherokee is peaceful. You're peaceful people, you know, and if, if they can work together and still keep their heritage and, and their traditions, then let's do that. Let's coexist. And so these uh, white uh, settlers were not having that. And so they wanted them to convert, basically what it is. I have researched it and everything is like, all of the Cherokee just wanted to decided that they wanted to emulate or imitate the white women and how classy they were and how docile they were and they just sat at home knitting and stuff. That sounds a lot like the Thanksgiving story or the Thanksgiving lie, let's put it that way, where everything was friendly and the Indian, the Native Americans saw that the white people were right, so they came and joined them at the table and ate turkey and cranberry sauce. So I don't believe for one second that the Cherokee women especially uh, uh, started to emulate these characteristics that these white women had peacefully. They were told to, they were forced to, they were saying the Europeans were manipulating them into doing it or else. And so, and so being a peaceful people, they found that to keep their people alive, 
to go ahead and at least act like, pretend like they are doing these things. And some people actually, some natives actually did go over because the assimilation was easier and more peaceful than the alternative. So you see, it wasn't a, oh, we want to be more like the white people type of thing. It was, you going to be more like the white people or else. You and your children are going are, are to be put in jail or y'all, y'all going to be killed or whatever. So being peaceful and wanting to keep their people alive, that's what a lot of them did. Now, um, the first to leave the area when the white settlers came were the Choctaw. They left first. Um, and they left to uh, 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 leave the settlers behind and to find a, a area where that they w- um, weren't wouldn't be so affected by the settlers moving in because at this time their influence was mainly on the east of the Mississippi, and this is around the time around like the. What is it, the 1820s, 1818s, 1820s, somewhere in that time frame where the the settlers were really bearing down on the on these Native Americans, on the Choctaw, the Cherokee, and the Seminole, and the Chickasaw, and the Muscogee, and because of, and then it really, really became bad when they discovered gold. So when the white people discovered gold, that was when the land that that these uh native that these natives were on became prized money, prized possession. Because everybody wanted to get in on this gold and make money, get richer, and all that good stuff. But they couldn't really get to it unless they moved those tribes off of there because the tribes considered that sacred land. The gold had always been there. The gold was always there. It didn't just pop up for the settlers. The gold was always there, but the natives were not greedy about it. The natives were not... Everything, the land, including the gold, and the people are one. There will be no people without the land. So there was no greed, really. There was a protection of their people and what is their territory where their people thrive, where they live, where their sacred areas are. So when you have tribes that war against each other, it's normally about that. Sometimes it's about, you know, resources that can help their tribe. But nothing ever like quite like this. 
So the Europeans having all their resources and being rich and powerful, they found that gold and they knew they hit pay dirt. And so what they did was they uh, had to fight. They had to fight. um, And in the 1800s, it's like the white domination was real. And now, I've already knew that the Native American, some Native American tribes owned slaves. Definitely true of the southeast tribes, east of the Mississippi, the five tribes. And um, so um, the federal government steps in and Andrew, Andrew Jackson is president. And his people wanted him to kick the Native Americans off the land so they could have access to all the gold. And plus they knew that people were going to come from all over wanting to get in on the gold too. So, um, there were, so in the act of trying to get the Natives off the land, there were some missionaries who have been around these tribes trying to convert them into Christianity. And um, there was also some white settlers who were helping or supporting the tribes. Um, and then especially when this, uh, uh, they settled in even more, some intermingled and, and married some of the tribal women. And what happened with that is there was this law that stated that something like um, if a white man marries a native woman, then the white man can't uh, um, is now in control of the property, but not the financial aspects of it. Because the financial aspects of it is where the real control is. It's like renting a house. Yeah, your stuff of ownership is inside the house. But you don't have financial ownership of it. So if your landlord or your, or your, or your bank comes and decides to kick you out, they have the power to do so because it's the real ownership is who has control of the money that controls that house. And in the Cherokee Nation, that it's always the woman that never leaves. No matter who she marries, that never leaves. So, and if um, the, the man, the husband leaves, the the uh, the uh, Native American woman, then um, uh, the whole thing 
returns back to her. So, um, and I think they did that that way because this is under white control of the government because uh, they want, because you know, white people, the Europeans were patrilineal. So they wanted, they of course was going to to inject their perspective on it, their way of life on it. And so, um, these men who married these women, they don't want, they didn't want to take everything, but they wanted to, mm, have their influence in it. If y'all following me on that. So, um, so when the, the white men started marrying the Cherokee women, let's put it that way. When the white men started marrying the Cherokee women, they were just still very powerful, very vocal, took care of everything, did all the farming and all that stuff. And the white man was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Women don't do that. You're supposed to be barefoot and pregnant. You're supposed to be over here weaving and polishing your face and, and, and powdering your face. You're supposed to be uh, sitting here with a tea and fanning yourself. You shouldn't be out here doing the farms and stuff like that. And, um... Which is what white women did. And that's why I'm saying that that's why the bill came out, the law came out, that men would have ownership of the property, but not over the money related to that. But not ownership over the money. It's in in and and because they want to inter, inter you know put their culture into it, and so by further putting their culture into it, they're saying you know you you don't need to be doing all this rough and tough stuff. Leave that up to the man. You just be a very quiet, docile woman, like the white women were. They didn't make any ruffles. They didn't really say too much. They just quietly amongst themselves and just let the men be men. And so that's what they did because I'm pretty sure some thought that maybe because the white people were so successful and strong, stronger than the than the native nations, that maybe that's there. That if they uh, assimilated with them, then they will be that way too. Their whole nation, not be white, but be strong, have a stronger Cherokee nation by doing that because they see how they 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 live their struggle while these other people don't seem to have any. And so, um, 
And then you have other Cherokee women who are like, you know what? I'm not changing for nobody. And there were a lot that did that. Even in the Trail of Tears, there were some that left and some that refused to leave. They stayed and they fought. Under the leadership of John Ross, they fought. And um, when the treaty was signed, and that was in 18... Well, there was a law signed in 1830. And let me see, I wrote it down about a million times researching. But now I can't seem to find it. But it was in 1830. And, um... They, uh... What the law stated was that, um... It was going to be a, a forced... Um... You can call it a forced relocation, I guess you can say. Um, it it was an eviction notice. And um, under the rulership, the presidency of Andrew Jackson, who was doing what his people wanted him to do. Um... It was to move the Indians out. And so that's what he did. And he gave them two years. And so the Cherokee left because they wanted, they saw all these other sellers coming in and they wanted to leave that. They wanted to go someplace else. So the Andrew Jackson gave them this. you know, they done lied to them before already, causing all kinds of trouble. So they said that you go to Arkansas with my grandmothers from Wynn, Arkansas, and um, we will offer you protection. Um, and so some of them departed, and first the Choctaw left. They were the first ones to leave. And then the Cherokee left, and but the only some left. Some stayed behind and continued to fight. And um, poor little John Ross, I'll tell you guys about him later. He's a hero in my book. He did everything that he could. Um, and the white people, they they were very slick. Them that they, them them settlers were very very slick. And they put every trick in their book. So when the Cherokee that went to Arkansas, they get there and find out there is no government involvement at all. They were supposed to be protected. They weren't. But the flip side of that coin means that there was no government involvement. So what they did was they formed their own little townships. They were forming their townships. They had their little cities and towns. They had the little towns and their houses and all that good stuff. They was doing good and building. They was building up until the federal government again 
decides to come in and say, we want this land too. And they started, the settlers started moving in. And so the Cherokee were forced to leave again. Now, mind you, this is like a lot, like hundreds and hundreds of miles away from uh, North and South Carolina and all that. So they pack up their stuff, their families, their, their, their belongings, and they move further west a little bit. And it just happens to be Osage County. You know, the Osage Native Americans. And they didn't take too kindly to that. Because that's their part of the land. You know? And so there was conflict there. A lot of conflict. And so they... um, They moved further west deeper into Oklahoma, which is where they are now. And um, the federal government came in and took the land that they had in Arkansas. And back at the original location, um, the one, the uh, Cherokee that stayed behind. They're going back and forth with John Ross and these three richer people. Because John Ross wasn't rich, but he was eloquent in speaking. He could speak English and very well. And he could relate to the white people well, which is why he was easily voted in as their spokesperson, the person to go and, you know fight for them with these white people. He speaks their language and they listen to him. Or so they thought. Um, so they didn't like John Ross. Despite all of John Ross's efforts, even going to jail for like 14 days or something like that. They decided that John Ross's life was even on the line with the Cherokee um, because he had signed a deal to sell part of the land for like as a deal that the white people made it seem was such a good thing. He sold, excuse me, he sold part of the land to the white people. And that's just like doing the worst because he did not consult the Cherokee Nation about that. So they did not take kindly to that at all. So then you got these three rich folks, Budenot and Elias Budenot and two other people. I think one was his brother or cousin or something like that. Anywho, they were so, Cherokee Nation was so happy. They was up in there, up in the office. And they was like, oh, we don't like John Ross. He doesn't really represent us well. He hasn't actually saved us, saved our land. We're still fighting for it. Well, these three white people could not do what one John Ross did. And what they ended up doing actually was... 
selling the whole land. Just you might as well say because they signed a bill. And Buddha not knew what he was doing because right after he signed his the bill, he said he just signed over his, it's like he just signed his death sentence. And so he knew the uh, impact of what he did and that the Cherokee were going to have him killed for it, for dishonoring them. So that what the three of them signed is what allowed the federal government to place this deal that was very sweet, so sweet, was full of lies. And um, Budanat knew it, but he signed it anyway, thinking that it was going to be good for his people, but also that his people would not see it that way and would not appreciate what he did. So uh, the government decides to come in and say, you know what, you're leaving. And the, I mean, they uh, John Ross was like, we're going to fight this to the Supreme Court. He's still fighting for them. The Supreme Court said, you know what, they don't have to leave. They don't want to leave leave them tribes alone. But Andrew Jackson said, I'm not paying no attention to the Supreme Court. And he's the only president that's ever defiled a Supreme Court ruling. And so he said, you know what, we're going to hurry up. We're going to do this right now. We're going to get this ball rolling right now. And so he, uh, it was state and federal militia, all of them were in on it, getting the Native Americans and their slaves, because they did own slaves, off of the land and didn't care. It's like, I don't care. They were like, pretty much Mrs. Wedge was, I don't care where you're going, but you can't stay here. And so they just kicked them off don't care where they're going, didn't put them up nowhere, didn't help them get no nothing. And so that's why it's called the Trail of Tears, because they trekked their way all the way through to um, Oklahoma, and some scattered a little bit, a lot of them perished. Uh, Obviously, my my lineage, my maternal lineage, is not among those that did perish. And um, a lot of times their white spouses were actually on that trail of tears because they refused to leave their loved one. And um, you got older people, like the old ladies that sat on platforms in the in in the fields to scare away crows and raccoons and stuff. They were too old to track that far on land. Okay? And then, God forbid, the weather, the elements, the rain and the snow and all that. It took a while. It took a long time to walk with all your stuff 
from one place to another hundreds of miles in between. Of course, you're going to run out of food. You got pregnant women. You've got children. You've got babies, infants, newborns. You've got elderly. You've got people with disabilities. People with asthma. Think about it. There were diseases, cholera, and all kinds of other stuff that were that were also uh, uh, claiming lives before they even reached their destination. So, and you have, and uh, on, uh, oh. It's a podcast called History Express. It's episode 82 about the Cherokee and the Trail of Tears. And they were reporting that there was singing because of the missionaries. The missionaries, they taught them these songs and it was like, asking, praying for God to help them. He sees their plight. Please, please, please help them. And so, um, it's just sad. So, my heritage, my, that would be in the 1830s, that would be my great, great, or possibly great, great, great Grandma, because I'm not gonna mention nothing about my grandpa. Because remember, it's a matrilineal society, so you trace yourself through your mother. And um, yeah. So, and another great source for information for me has been on a documentary on an Amazon Prime called Trail of Tears. And you can watch this. Um, um, well, I can watch it. It's on. It's a Prime type of video, so I believe everybody can watch it. Um, it's called Trail of Tears. It's a four award-winning documentary. It's a commentary by James Earl Jones. I love it when he commentates something. Him and uh, what's his face? Um, what is his name? Oh, I got his name on the tip of my brain. Um, oh, it'll come to me. I'll tell you guys next uh, episode. But it's commentary by James Earl Jones, Wes Studi, and James Garner, and many more. So, um, I'm going to let this end here. Um, I am blessed that my ancestors made it through the Trail of Tears because my grandmother was born in Arkansas. So, that would have meant that... Um, because the uh, during the Trail of Tears, the last segment of it, uh, where the last people were evicted, were evacuated from their homeland. They did go to meet up in Oklahoma, but my grandmother's from Arkansas, so she's part of the um, earlier group that moved to Arkansas. 
She was born in Arkansas, born and raised. So I am going to stop this right here, this podcast right here. Thank you all for listening in. And I'll bring more exciting content next episode. And um, I'm going to be setting up my subscription. So if you want to subscribe and support and support me, um, that will be Im- uh, amazing. And I'm be immensely grateful. Um, you all take care. And until next time.